0: Welcome to the Matt Goodwin Subcast. It's good to have you with us. This is a subscriber-supported platform, so do consider supporting us at mattgoodwin.substack.com and feel free to connect with me direct on Twitter at GoodwinMJ. We hope you enjoy today's subcast. Welcome, everybody, to another subcast. And this week, I'm delighted to be joined by Paulina Neuding, Uh, who is an expert on Swedish politics. And the reason that I asked uh, Paulina to join us is firstly because of the recent election in Sweden, which really delivered another earthquake in European politics. The Sweden Democrats, the National Populist Party, um, did uh, exceptionally well, uh, a record level of support. And I wanted to talk with Paulina about what, what's behind that and what we can learn from that. But secondly, I've also been reading many of her articles, which I strongly recommend, including uh, two articles recently, uh, one in Barry Weiss's uh, Substack, Two Bombings in One Night, That's Normal Now in Sweden, uh, and also uh, her piece in The Spectator, uh, Sweden's New Power Brokers. Uh, reflecting on the rise of the uh, Sweden Democrats. So Paulina, welcome to the subcast. It's great to have you with us.
1: Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me.
0: So let's just jump straight in. What is happening in Sweden? Because if I go all the way back to the days when I was doing my PhD in the early 2000s, there was the beginning of the rise of populism in Swedish politics, you might say. But historically, Sweden was always seen a bit like the UK, a bit like Germany, a bit like Spain, a bit like Portugal, in being um, considered to be immune to populism. So Sweden Mm. was the nice, fluffy, historically liberal uh, democracy with strong mainstream parties and... um, very little public appetite for the kind of populist politics that had been taken off um, at the time in countries like Italy and and Austria and so forth. Now, 20 years on, Swedish politics is unrecognisable. And the unwritten law that Sweden doesn't do populism has been blown apart. So, I mean, let's just start there. What is happening in Sweden?
1: Well, Swedish politics are unrecognizable, as you say, and that has to do with the fact that Swedish society is unrecognizable. If we go even further back to the 1960s, that's when my parents came to Sweden as refugees from Poland. Uh, Sweden really was uh, utopian in, in many ways. It, it was, I mean, obviously all societies have problems, but Sweden was a low crime society, which had you know it it was this emblem of political and social stability for good reason and um, what's happened in the last few years is that we have um, an extreme wave of violence uh, extreme in european terms Uh, we just had our 50th uh, deadly shooting uh, just this week and these are i mean if, if you have Americans, uh, Americans listening to this, they will probably not find that very shocking, but in a European context, that's extreme. Uh, we have the highest level of deadly shootings in the EU, and uh, we're the only EU country with, uh, where, where gun violence is increasing. Uh, so that's gun violence. Uh, and, and you can compare 50 deadly shootings in Sweden with one deadly shooting in Finland in the first six months of 2022. Uh, so these are extreme levels, and we have extreme levels of bombings. We have a bombing epidemic that's uh, that has no equivalent anywhere else in the world. Um, so, and, you know, uh, another example would be the fact that we have 60 neighborhoods, uh, which, um, according to the police, uh, the, the state or the police are, are struggling to to um uh, to maintain control over um, so and you know according to 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 the police again we have 40 criminal uh, clans, uh, clans operating in sweden so um so we have we have all these new problems and swedish society has become much much less peaceful and much less stable and this is obviously this is something that's going to affect political political life as well
0: so it's fair to say crime, criminality, violence has become a lot more uh, pressing in the political agenda. And I'm guessing, mm. aligned a to that, the debate over immigration has become a lot more prominent.
1: Yes. And I mean, sometimes you can get the idea that people, um, crime becomes more important to voters because the media play on fears or people talk more about crime. And that's not the case here. It's, it's, uh, a change in Swedish society, where with uh, um, more, it's not just that we have more shootings; it's uh, it's a new level of brutality that we haven't seen before. So that's the reason why crime has become so important to voters. And for the first time ever in this election, uh, crime was the top priority of voters, according to some polls. So that was new.
0: So just for readers who and for listeners who are not familiar with with what, what we're talking about when we talk about crime. We're talking mainly about gang violence between mm. groups of who? I mean, what's, the, what's going on? What's the, the breakdown of, of this crime in Swedish society? Um,
1: so yes, we're talking about the gang violence, gang crime, mainly. So when we talk about the shootings and bombings, these are mainly uh, a matter of um, something that the, the criminal uh, gangs are doing. And these can be street gangs in um, immigrant neighborhoods, and then there are um, criminal clans, uh, there are motorcycle gangs. So not all gangs are are immigrant gangs, but there's definitely, um, this is definitely a problem that's linked to immigration and failed integration. If you look at shootings, for instance, 85% of suspects are either first or second generation immigrants. So... The, the, it's very clearly part of the problem,
0: and it, it seems to me that this is a fairly recent problem. I, I might be wrong. I'm not an expert in Swedish politics, but I I was always struck in 2002, 2003. There was a there was a fascinating paper, a scholar at uh, at Stockholm University, Jens Ridgren, who had argued that actually, if you looked at the the fundamentals of Swedish society, it was just as um it was just as receptive to sort of populist politics mm. as any other democracy it had you know weakening bonds between voters and the main parties it had concerns over migration but it also had this party uh the Sweden Democrats who came from a pretty explicitly extreme beginning and was sort of rooted mm. in neo-nazism and so forth but clearly from the outside, and again from my sort of you know amateur um, perspective, it seems that the Sweden Democrats has basically, uh, have basically targeted this issue and campaigned on this issue, uh, and have exploited the failure of mainstream parties to deal with this issue. Is that a is that a fair assessment?
1: Definitely. And uh, as far as I mean, every European country has has a party like the Sweden Democrats. Uh, the Sweden Democrats have a very—I um, mean—they have a very distinctly far-right past. Uh, about a third of their founders were had links to uh, neo-Nazi circles. So the, this is what is what's so so tragic about the Swedish case that um, the Sweden Democrats really have this um, these, the, this past with these links to to extreme right. Uh, circles and even Nazis.
0: And how, how were they able then to, to go from being mm. a, a very toxic fringe force that was, you know, uh, an outcast in Swedish politics? Nobody said they'd work with the Sweden Democrats. Nobody said they'd ever mm. uh, join a coalition with the Sweden Democrats. So how do they go from being, you know, a very small player into becoming you know what? What you call in this piece uh, the power broker mm. in Swedish politics? Just talk us through that journey. Sure. I mean, what's what does that detoxification journey look like in Sweden?
1: So what happened in Sweden was that um, immigration kept growing, and uh, um, the the debate about immigration was um, this was a very difficult issue to talk about openly in Sweden, as as late as in two thousand and fourteen the political editor of uh, Sweden's biggest newspaper, Aftonbladet, which is Social Democratic, she said that she can't, can't even imagine an argument for reduced immigration, which isn't racist. There wasn't even a way to suggest that we could reduce immigration without being accused of racism. The Liberal Party, for instance, they had uh, posters, in the I think it was in the 2010 election, where it said, yes to immigration, no to racism. So that was presented as a sort of dichotomy, and at the same time, uh, there was never, or very, just very, very briefly, a majority in favor of increased immigration uh, among the voters. So, so voters really had nowhere to turn if they wanted to, uh, uh, you know, wanted to have less liberal migration policy or or uh, less open borders. So that's why. Um, what, that's why the, the Sweden Democrats started uh, started to grow as they did. But it's also a matter of what happened within the party. The party was taken over by by uh, four um, a group of four friends uh, who decided to uh, reform the party and to make it uh, to turn it into what it is today. And they started to what's the word? They started to expel members who who expressed themselves in. In racist ways, they even cut off their entire youth wing. Um, so um, the party has changed in in very significant ways since the 1990s. Um, so it's both a matter of what other parties did, and also a matter of how the Sweden Democrats have changed um, since the 1990s.
0: And and along that that journey, I'm assuming that they've picked up different. Types of voters as they've gone through the 2000s and the 2010s. And mm. you look across much of Europe, and often you tend to find that national populist parties have usually, not always, but usually picked up votes from the working class, uh, from voters who mm. uh, had previously given up on the political system. They'd often, maybe they voted for the left at one point, but often they voted for the right, but usually they'd given up on politics altogether. There was often a very strong gender gap. So, you know, there were typically men, uh, Mm. often hadn't gone to university, small towns, medium towns, outside the cities, outside the university towns, overwhelmingly concerned with cultural questions of migration, sense of cultural loss, Mm. quite Eurosceptic, distrustful of mainstream politics. I mean, how much of that resonates in Sweden? Uh, Yes.
1: I mean, all that is true for the Sweden Democrats as well. But immigration is the big issue. And the fact that people did not have an alternative to turn to um, until after 2015, um, because no other party was prepared to say we need to reduce immigration to Sweden.
0: I mean, has there been any reflection on the part of the centre-right or centre-left on that that previous Strategy of Mm. essentially pushing that conversation out of the mainstream. Has there been any expression of regret, for example, in British politics? You often meet Labour MPs who will say quite openly, you know, they lost control of my of the immigration issue in the two thousands and the twenty tens, and they say, you know, we should have dealt with it. We should have addressed public concerns. Is is that a factor in Sweden? Or yes and
1: no, yes and no. Everything turned in Sweden in two thousand and fifteen because in the end, Sweden had to. introduce border controls and so on in 2015 to reduce immigration. Up until that point, uh, to reduce immigration was uh, meant that you were, I mean, it, you could be accused of racism for saying that that's something that we need to do. When that point came, when when the established parties and the established media had to admit that you might not be a racist if you suggest that we need to uh, reduce immigration. Uh, at that point, they had to sort of say that They'd been wrong all along, and then, and because they had made such a strong moral case against um, reduced immigration, that became uh, led to a crisis of confidence. There has been um, you, you very you very often hear that well, we were right about immigration up until 2015, where where when the immigration wave came, it became too much for the system to handle. So that's sort of the cop out where where uh, establishment politicians say we, we were right, but only up until 2015 when we all turned. Um, so, um, so the Sweden Democrats really benefited from this very polarized uh, way of looking at immigration. And they benefited, benefited from the fact that um, established parties, established media were in effect accusing voters of racism for not agreeing with the the immigration policy that governments to the left and to the right were pursuing.
0: And so the Sweden Democrats break through, they become a mainstream force, they start to pick up more mm. and more support. Um, refugee crisis is a big part of that, escalating violence is part of that. Sweden then goes into COVID, uh, the pandemic, how does that change things for the sweden democrats i mean was there any were there any cultural divides over lockdowns or how the state responded to that pandemic
1: Uh, that's you know sweden is an interesting society in that way because we first of all we didn't have lockdowns really uh we had some restrictions but we didn't go into full lockdowns like you did in in britain and sweden is still a very collectivist society so when you have a crisis like this um we tend to to stick together, and even the Sweden Democrats signaled that they they were um, that they were not in opposition to to the policies that the government was pursuing. Um, so COVID didn't change much, but what what has changed is um, is crime because it's reached such extreme levels. Uh, just last week, I think we had four bombings in total, or if it was two weeks ago, where you know. Uh, people, uh, two blasts uh, on two nights. You could hear blasts over large parts of Stockholm um, because uh, residential buildings were uh, were bombed in two two different areas. Um, and when you have such extreme levels of violence, and when it's clear that not obviously not every act of violence has to do with immigration and failed integration but overall gang crime crime does have to do with immigration and failed integration that really does change uh, the conversation on on these issues
0: and it it just sounds so astonishing to me that you know when you describe the violence and in your Mm. thesis you talk about just how frequent you know these bombings are and the fact that we're not talking about you know violence that's restricted to ghettos we're talking about violence that people can Mm. Here that they can relate to that they, you know, is part of their their lives. Um, where where is public opinion on this issue? I mean, w- ordinary Swedes, you know, not 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 even just Sweden Democrat voters. I mean, just everybody. Where are they on this issue? I mean, if I were to look at you know opinion polls and surveys in Sweden, I mean, just talk me through the mindset of. Swedish society on this issue because it sounds so extreme to me that the Swedes are, are living through this. And
1: it is extreme, and and that's the thing. I mean, we we when we talk about normalization, we tend to think about women who are in abusive relationships and the violence just becomes normalized. But we've seen something similar when it comes to the bombings in Sweden. It's you can have, um, you know, a story of um, of a bombing late at night and it's not something you would talk about at work in the morning because we're so used to it <laughs> I mean,
0: and it's remarkable just, to me
1: it is remarkable it is remarkable um, and um, uh, you know we've had almost 500 suspected bombings since 2018 which was the year of the last election and not every bombing is powerful but but many are and we read stories of children who wake up at night because the apartment is shaking and they come running into their parents' bedroom screaming, am I going to die? You know, those kinds of stories. And it's just, it affects people's lives on a, on a very profound level. So it's, um, um, so, so what's happened in Swedish life, if you talk to, if I talk to friends or, you know, regular middle-class Swedes, if you talk to them, you see that life has moved uh, their concerns have moved down Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs. Suddenly, we're talking about safety in a way that we simply didn't use to Sweden. We're talking about um, child robberies have become a, a big problem. There, there's an increase of robberies against uh, children and, and youths, uh, where there's often excessive violence. And these are called humiliation robberies. Uh, there was a, a government report about these robberies, and they are indeed uh, there. There has indeed been an increase. There is a very clear pattern. The perpetrators uh, are usually immigrants or children of immigrants. Uh, the victims are very often Swedish boys um, who are are you know victims of not just uh, uh, robbings, but but humiliation, unnecessary violence. Uh, they're being burnt with cigarettes. They're being called things. They're they're filmed by their uh, tormentors. So so people are concerned with their own safety and the safety of their children in a way that's that's simply new for Swedish society.
0: And into this mix, you get the Sweden Democrats and, and mm. their leader. And I imagine what they're saying is tougher sentences, tougher positions on law and order. Right lower immigration, etc., cetera, et cetera. I mean, is that is that essentially what they're saying? Is that, I mean, or am I simplifying? I mean, what's, no, the, what's the policy offer?
1: That's exactly what they're saying. But the, the main thing, the main difference about the Sweden Democrats is that they were prepared to admit, or, you know, not admit in their case, but to say uh, that this has to do, there has been an increase in crime has become more serious. It has to do with failed integration. It has to do with immigration. All these things were, um, there was a strict taboo around all these things just a few years ago. Uh, so Prime Minister Stefan Löfven of the Social Democrats, our former Prime Minister, uh, he said in 2019, uh, or 2020, I think, that we didn't see this coming. He said of this uh, gang violence. And he also refused to link it to immigration. And then he had to, to admit in the end, in 2020, that, of course, obviously, as, as everyone knows, this has, has to do with immigration and failed integration. Uh, but the Sweden Democrats have been seeing that for years. So that, that was an advantage, advantage for, for the Sweden Democrats.
0: And so the uh, stigma around the party has essentially given way and it's become a more acceptable, legitimate part of Swedish politics? I mean, so I mean, if I was it, has, to be... it has
1: in many ways. So up until this election, uh, the other parties did not want to cooperate with the Sweden Democrats. And everything that the Sweden Democrats touched was seen as tainted by the Sweden Democrats and their history. And what happened in this election was that there was actually a right wing block with three uh, legacy uh, parties on the right and the Sweden Democrats for the first time. And now they are in negotiations about the new new government. Um, in the last election, even though there was a right-wing majority in parliament, the other parties decided to act as if the Sweden Democrats didn't exist. Uh, so they formed this cartel to, to exclude the Sweden Democrats. And this led to, to another left-wing government. And obviously, this is something that voters obviously didn't accept.
0: Well, I mean, mainstream mainstream coalitions, cartel politics, whatever you want to call it, you know, Mm. generally never works well in Mm. curbing support for outsider parties. I mean, you know, the Austria example in the late 90s, early 2000s was perhaps, you know, the big one, which essentially, Mm. you know, refusing to work with the Austrian Freedom Party really put them on on steroids. Um yeah, no, and I think in some senses, you know, you look at Germany and, and the way German politics have been conducted over the last ten, twenty years, you can probably make a a parallel a case, mm. you know, that by by pushing many of these debates out of the mainstream, uh, you really make it a lot easier for mm. uh outside of populist parties to break through.
1: Yes. And I mean, if you look at Germany, for instance, the Christian Democrats, the CDU, uh, their policy for decades was uh, there mustn't be anything to the right of, the, of us. This, you know, they said "Rechts von uns darf es nicht geben," as you say, in German. There, it's it's our responsibility, or it's the responsibility of the CDU to make sure that there isn't anything to the right of the CDU. And then came Angela Merkel, and she opened the borders, and uh, and, um, you know, the result is uh, um, AFD uh, and, and um, growing support for the AFD. And the Swedish moderates did something similar because um, when SD started growing, uh, the um, leader of the moderates at the time, Fred Klinefels, he decided to, to punish voters by opening borders even more. So he... he um, Um, he agreed with the Green Party on even more liberal immigration laws.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because if you look at the experience of European politics over the last two decades or three decades, the general story, I think, is that once these parties break through, unless they're completely extreme, you know, and violating Mm. the rule of law, as was the case with, say, Golden Dawn in Greece it's very, very difficult to put them back into the bottle. But basically, once they break through, that's kind of it. And the debate basically begins to change. Mainstream parties, usually not always, but they typically start to drift to the right on cultural questions, especially centre-right conservatives who realise they've now got a big problem on their Mm. right flank. And sometimes, not always, but centre-left social democrats try and say something on these issues. I mean, you know, Britain's Labour Party, for example, tried to talk about immigration when Nigel Farage was breaking through and causing a problem in Labour areas. You can look at the Danish mm. Social Democrats as perhaps one example. Even people on the German left have been, you know, fairly critical of of migration and the handling of uh, of the refugee crisis at points. I mean, have we seen anything like that in Sweden? I mean, how have put it this way? How have mainstream parties now responded? to the rise of sweden democrats
1: so the parties of the left-wing bloc the social democrats the center party the left party which are the former former communists um, sorry social democrats green party center party and the left party uh, they have kept evoking the past the sweden democrats past, and tried to make them a threat to swedish society um the former leader of the uh, Social Democrats referred them to them as fascist um, and, and they've really doubled down on this, um, uh, uh, you know, a uh, center-right government with the support of the Sweden Democrats is a threat to Swedish democracy. And, you know, as I see it, it's something they've been saying to try to scare voters and now, now they don't really have a way out of it.
0: Right. But we know that's not a particularly effective strategy.
1: It's not an effective strategy, and above all, it's not true. And you know, you you shouldn't you shouldn't scare voters with the end of democracy if, if it's not true. Well, that, that's the <laughs> yeah. Biden
0: strategy, right? Essentially, in American politics, the Biden mm. strategy is to present the election as being an existential struggle between democracy and a sort of revived fascism. Which, you know, if you're not the uh, if you're not a member of the you know five percent of loons who genuinely are you know extremist mm. and want to bring down the whole system that's probably going to you know pee you off a little bit that you're being you know called a fascist and a nazi which mm. you know, generally doesn't seem to go down very well but, i mean it,
1: there's a big difference between trump and the sweden democrats they they've been reformed to a point where uh they still have it still happens that individual members express themselves in a way that's racist and then they're excluded from the party. Um, there are members of the of the Sweden Democratic leadership that do regularly express themselves in ways that are Islamophobic, for instance. But uh, overall, the party has um, been reformed to a point where you know it's it's simply not fair to call them fascist or Nazi or 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 you know anything like that.
0: But yeah, but I was referring more to their voters that I can't mm. imagine. I mean you know what percentage of swedish voters are genuinely racist uh, of course. In, in their views yes. i mean you know if you look at all western democracies over the mm. last 30 40 years i personally think the survey evidence is pretty clear on that yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and definitely
1: in sweden i mean swedes are very progressive and mm. uh, and liberal and uh, and the the sweden democrats had to reform get consider, you know change considerably to to attract 20% of the, of the Swedish voters.
0: So I guess, I guess this is what I'm worried about, that the, sort of, the longer I sort of, I've been working and writing in this area, the more I've become convinced that actually one of the big problems that we have to contend with is the imposition of these speech codes mm. on voters around cultural questions, which really do galvanise them to mm. vote for parties they might not otherwise actually vote for that that there is a exactly. sort of a dogmatism uh, or or a very narrow orthodoxy that descends on politics now you know my friends on on the on on the social democratic left or the radical left would say well if you didn't have those speech codes everybody would suddenly become racist and society would sort of descend into you know this mm. sort of fascist apocalypse, but um I've always been less convinced by that argument. I think there is something mm. that is changing on the left of politics that we can sort of sense over the last ten years that that has act that has been actively driving support for these these populist movements
1: exactly and I mean it's, in Swedish society I, most Swedes are very, very decent people and and I don't think we have to impose these speech codes to 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 contain some sort of you know. Under underlying dormant, um, um, you know, anti-democratic sentiment, um, and I think it's important to, as I mentioned, the, the German CDU. It's it's uh, uh, legacy parties on the right have a responsibility to keep their own voters in order not to to create the sort of political turbulence that we see in Sweden now. Um, if the moderates in Sweden, that was the main centre-right party, if they had listened to voters 15 years ago, instead of trying to punish voters for voting for for the SD, uh, we would be in a completely different situation today. And that's not a uh, not only a matter of interest for, for the moderates themselves, but for Swedish society as a whole.
0: And uh, are the centre-right showing any sign of grasping that lesson because clearly as you and I are talking there must Mm. be uh politicians in Sweden beginning to panic about the rising level of support for this party that has sort of come out of nowhere almost Mm. yes it's been building for a long time but as far as many of our listeners will be aware it's it's a pretty shocking development right in Swedish politics that it is very shocking can now can now finish second so I mean what on earth happens next
1: So what's happened is that the rhetoric of the the moderates, for instance, has changed completely. Uh, They now agree that immigration is too big. That was impossible to say before 2015. Um, They agree that immigration has led to this surge in crime, which was also an absolute taboo. And they're saying that, uh, you know, we have to have uh, controlled immigration for for the foreseeable future and that we have to... um, you know, be tough on crime on, 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 in all, all sorts of different ways, which is um, in ways that are, are new for Swedish society. I mean, we have a very progressive criminal justice system, system for instance, and that's a remnant from the time when Sweden was a low-crime country. Their the rhetoric has changed completely.
0: And will that be enough? I mean, will that bring them back into the game? Because I imagine that Sweden Democrats now, with some governing experience... Will be able to say they're credible, they're legitimate, mm. they're no longer pariahs. I mean, the story across Europe of, you know, when you have populist parties that have entered governments, um, they've not always done well in the next election, but they basically become established political players. I mean, Lagan mm. in Italy, um, Austrian Freedom Party. You know, these these are movements that you know once they're in and they're seen by voters as being effectively at that point mainstream. That's kind of it, right? They've crossed mm. the they've crossed the line, and, and and they're in.
1: That's probably what's going to happen in Sweden as well. Uh, they've been uh, the Sweden Democrats have been more and more accepted in in public life in Sweden in general. You see them, and the, they're treated like a normal normal party when they appear in media, in, in you know, in the in parliament, and so on. And uh, now they are now the the this new Swedish government will rely on their support for the first time and um, I don't see how how the Sweden Democrats would go away even if we have these regular scandals where where it turns out that someone has said something very well, horrible racist uh, which which they do from time to
0: time yeah but the, I mean if if you look across you know the West over the last 10 years 15 years I mean those scandals really do make minimal difference. I mean, they, they may change a few undecided voters around the margins. But I mean, if you look at, you know, we had a very similar case in in British politics in the early 2010s. And I mean, you know, there was a lot that was thrown at the UK Independence Party. I mean, there was a lot. I mean, they were, you know, racist, Islamophobic, anti-democracy, you know, it, I mean, it was a lot, a, a long period of time in which, um, you know, that party was in the news continuously because of you know these kinds of charges and um, and accusations but then if you look at it the level of support it stayed pretty stable and then and then grew and and you know they effectively became became mainstream and i think i think you know the longer i sort of observe this on the outside it's just i i just think that many mainstream politicians and activists and also journalists and and academics as well. Um, I think in a sense, are so um committed to not really engaging with these arguments that mm-hmm. they sort of vacate the public square altogether. And they just say, you know, it's easier to say these parties are extremists, they're racist, and and that's where the conversation ends, mm-hmm. rather than uh, actually, address the underlying grievances that are driving many of these voters into the arms of populists. So, I imagine in Sweden, that is about surely coming up with a decent, coherent strategy for dealing with gang violence mm. um, and dealing with the bombings. That is probably going to be a lot more robust than what Sweden has seen until until now. I mean, if you compare and contrast policies in. In Denmark and Sweden, for example, with regard to, say, integration issues, right, they're radically different. Um, they are, yes. What, so, so, so how does Sweden get into a place where it can start to address the the issue rather than sort of, you know, mm. spending its time on the politics?
1: Yeah, and I, I think that voters, uh, they've come to a point where they know that these scandals are going to uh, to happen in the Sweden Democrats. It's part of the calculus. They don't care. They, they want something to be done about the bombs. They don't don't care anymore if someone says something racist. Uh, and that's a problem in itself, obviously, because that sort of brutalizes the uh, public discourse. Um, but hopefully now that Sweden gets a center-right government, it looks like uh, the new government will reform its um, policies on crime and justice entirely. and. That's what we need to do.
0: I think you read in. Sorry, you you wrote in your piece that the Social Democrats have won eighteen of the last twenty four elections. Sorry, nineteen of the last twenty four elections, which is quite a uh,
1: quite a <laughs> Might be true. Yes, I mean they they've been the dominant force in mm. Swedish politics for for the last century.
0: But then there's uh, a there, there's a there's a gamble here, right? That mm. if the center right and this right wing alliance do not if they're not able to to demonstrate change mm. on this issue.
1: Which will be very difficult to do, because as we know, if you want to reduce immigration, you have all this international law that you have to take into account. That's very difficult. It's, you can say that uh, uh, criminals who are not citizens are going to uh, have to leave Sweden. You can say that, but then it turns out that it's very difficult and complicated because, because of international law and so on. And then these are very complex processes. There was an article just a few days ago about a town south of Stockholm, Södertälje, which has a very large uh, Syrian population, and where where clans are believed to to have you know entered politics, municipal politics, in a very serious way. So so the, in a very serious way. So there's clan based political corruption in 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 this municipality and that's not something you can you can deal with in in 4 years so we're dealing with, with very very complicated problems that will not go away in the in the next 4 years
0: and it sounds as though then much of the turbulence that we've witnessed at the last election and that's been growing for period of time is probably going to become a permanent presence on Sweden's political landscape. It just mm. it doesn't sound to me, listening to you, that the fundamentals of this new Swedish politics are really going to change all that much. I mean, it sounds as though Sweden's just going through what Austria and Italy and
1: mm. uh,
0: the UK have gone through over the last 15 years. It just it doesn't sound to me that there is going to be any real watershed moment arriving on the horizon anytime mm. soon
1: yeah yeah and it's we we're looking at a more much more polarized political reality where, where you have the the left accusing the right for being democratically if not illegitimate then at least not trustworthy and um, you know that's that's a new situation and it's it's very serious
0: Well, Paulina, we will watch the events closely and what happens with the new government, which I imagine is going to be a very um, interesting time in Sweden and for the Swedes to observe and watch how that progresses. I think the fact that the election came so close to events in Italy has also reminded a lot of observers that many of the things that were written during COVID about the the end of populism is were perhaps somewhat premature, and if anything, what we're seeing are parties that used to be, you know, pretty marginal, are now enjoying record levels of support, including in Portugal mm. and Spain, and I think Sweden now, remarkably, has become a success story for populism, rather than the, where it started off, which was a, a textbook case study in a democracy that didn't really have a successful. Mm. populist party so um we'll be watching those uh watching those events closely um for everybody listening i really urge you to uh get hold of paulina's writings um i've mentioned the piece in um common sense barry uh barry rice's uh sub and also uh her columns uh in the spectator um paulina thanks for joining us thanks for giving us your thoughts on A country that a lot of listeners won't know perhaps too much about, um, but uh, you've nonetheless sharpened our understanding. So thank you for your time.
1: Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me.